We choose to go to the moon in this decade and do the other things, not because they are easy, but because they are hard. <laughs> Welcome to Home Viewing, I'm John, and I'm Bethany, and this is a podcast where we go through all the DVDs and Blu-rays in our library in alphabetical order. This episode, we're doing Apollo 13. Last episode was American Hustle. So, similarities between these two, they are both based on real events, though I feel like American Hustle is more of a retelling, whereas this is just like a straightforward, almost like historical recreation in some ways. Yeah, yeah, like American Hustle is like a, yeah, retelling, I don't know what's going with that. It's like, anyway. yeah, this is, I don't know, it's a, a, American Hustle, like they map it onto a comedy, whereas this feels more just like a dramatization of, of the book that uh, Jim Lovell, the main character, actually wrote. Yeah, I'm, I think I'm going to plan to read those soon. So Apollo 13 looks at the, um... Apollo 13 disaster, really. The uh, title is what it is. Um, did you say disaster? I just mean Apollo 13. Yeah, yeah, the disaster that occurred. What alternate title did you read? Aboard Apollo 13. <laughs> Rocket. An Apollo 13 story. <laughs> um, during the Apollo 13 mission, which was two after we landed on the moon, there was an explosion aboard the spacecraft when they were mixing the oxygen tanks, which uh, severely disabled the spacecraft and had uh, forced them to abort the mission to go to the moon, but they had to slingshot around the moon to be able to get the velocity to get back home. And this was a huge deal. This was the uh, closest they've ever been to losing an astronaut in space. Now, they'd lost astronauts before, which the movie gets into, actually. Um, It opens with recreated footage of the Apollo 1 fire uh, during the launch rehearsal in which we lost three of the Apollo astronauts, the original Apollo astronauts. Yeah, everyone in there, they couldn't get the door open. Yeah. Um, And they play around with this idea of anything can go wrong. There's there's like millions and millions of variables in this kind of space travel that we just have no idea of how exactly to deal with them. Something that I like a lot is the opening narration that I don't think... I didn't recognize what it was. It opens with uh, Walter Cronkite narrating before the uh, landing on the moon and referencing the Apollo 1 disaster because after we see this footage, we cut to this party that the astronauts that... uh, the rest of the astronauts of the Apollo program are throwing to commemorate the landing on the moon in 1969. And something... I think that's a cool little tidbit that it's like, oh, this isn't just some stilted narration. This is actual news audio of Walter Cronkite. And I feel like people older than us, people who had like experienced, who were like old enough to remember the moon landing. Oh, we all remember Walter Cronkite. He's not that old a dinosaur. But but what I'm saying is people who had watched (laughs) the moon landing live probably would have instantly recognized that as what it was. Because I had no idea what it was. No, I didn't realize what it was until it actually cut to Walter Cronkite. I don't know. I always forget that that's how the movie opens. Um, I just... You know, I just remember Tom Hanks, like, putting his thumb over the moon. For, for those of you who do at home, John's putting up his thumb at the invisible moon right now. And I bumped the mic boom while I was doing it. <laughs> this cast is kind of stacked. Oh, yeah. I mean, you've got Kevin Bacon. 
You've got Gary Sinise. You've got Bill Paxton. Ed Harris. Everyone from that album. And, of course, the king himself. Elvis was not in this movie. Tom Hanks was in this movie. <laughs> Tom Hanks uh, plays Jim Lovell, who uh, the movie pulls a lot of stuff from the book that he wrote about Apollo 13, as well as pulling a lot of stuff from the mission log transcripts and the audio that was released, because as anyone who's seen The Martian knows, NASA has to release all their logs to the public like within 48 hours. Is that true? That's true. They're a government... They're a government organization that sponsors science. Well, you think we'd be able to fact-check everything out. <laughs> Fact-checking doesn't matter anymore, didn't you know? <laughs> well, fake NASA's not real. Fake you realize that we have like audio of the Apollo Eleven landing. Yeah. Here, no, Wait. like oh, in our in our in, in our vinyl, a friend of ours gave it to us when we moved away. <laughs> he lent it to us. We're actually a vinyl library. <laughs> <laughs> um, so you know, let's talk about. Uh, I think this was effective for the American Hustle episode. Let's talk about what worked in this movie, and let's talk about what didn't work in this movie. What worked for I mean, me? Tom Hanks really worked. Like Tom Hanks worked. worked very hard in this film. And so did the lady who played his wife. I liked her a lot. Oh. She carried some weight there. They, I feel like she was like the emotional core on Earth. Like A lot of the drama was around mission control and like the problem solving of it. And I think that's what helped the speed of the movie is that, Oh, there are people who will be dead if we don't figure this out. So they had these just incredibly acted scenes and like shot and edited scenes of the, uh, them talking back and forth on their headsets in mission control in Houston. What's your name? Kathleen Quinlan. Kathleen Quinlan who played Jim Lovell's wife. Um, and there were a lot of just, I don't know. The speed of the editing of the conversations in Mission Control, I loved. And I think that's something that you really get with the uh, launch sequence on the launch pad when uh, they're going through the checklist and everybody has to give him a go and the camera is cutting, uh, the shot is cutting back and forth between Ed Harris as Gene Kranz. Um, yeah, Ed Harris did a lot of work on this. Oh my god, he's... There's some groundwork. He's so good. Um, I think... Something about Ron Howard. There wasn't that much creative camera work in this movie. No, I mean... It was a lot of, like, shot-to-shot -shot editing. I guess the space stuff was I mean, I guess there's only so much you can do yeah. when you're flying in a parabolic airplane. Mm -hmm. Which, by the way, most of the weightless scenes, to actually show the weightlessness, they filmed in the Vomit Comet. Um, which, for those of you who don't know is what they used to train astronauts in zero-G. Um, it flies up to the edge of the at atmosphere in a series of parabolas, and as they go down, you experience weightlessness. Yeah, but NASA did a lot of work with them on this movie, surprisingly enough. Like, I think they, I mean, a lot of those scenes are actually at NASA with, like, when they're training, and I think even the suits are like almost exact replicas of the actual Suits. Yeah, no, I read that they actually, they're actually airtight, so they had to pump air and AC into them when they were acting in them, uh, just like the actual spacesuits. That's so, like, I'm just, authentic feeling. Well, I'm just thinking about how nice it would be to, like, have, have a personal AC, AC pump. 
Mm, well, not when you're freezing to death. But like dealing with these Georgia with this Georgia heat, that would be amazing. <laughs> That's gonna be the future when um global warming. We're all gonna wear spacesuits. We're all gonna wear spacesuits. They <laughs> <laughs> won't be able to handle it anymore. Mm-hmm. I also liked the way that the um, movie marked its period in some ways. Like, something that cracked me up is in the middle of the Apollo 13 mission, Jim Lovell's daughter is fighting with her mom because she doesn't want to go see the broadcast at NASA because the Beatles just broke up and she's depressed. I mean, back then, it's a lot harder to find new bands, so like, you have to go <laughs> your there. It's not like you can just Google what's just like the Beatles. There's plenty like it, I'm sure. But. Well, what's funny to me is that she's listening to Purple Haze while this is yeah. happening. <laughs> and, it's like, and it cuts off right at, excuse me while I kiss that sky. And it's just... Mm. Um, and I think that something else that the movie did a lot of is there was a bit of time compression. Like, I'm pretty sure the disaster didn't happen immediately after the TV broadcast. I think your timeline is crazy. No, I'm not. They So, right after the... Right after the broadcast is when they say, hey, go ahead and stir that O2. And boom. They stir the O2, and the explosion happens. Yeah. Um, there's also a lot of anger directed at the flight surgeon during this movie. Mm-hmm. Because to make it... So I guess to make it clear, um, this crew of astronauts, Jim Lovell, uh, Fred Hayes, and Jack Swigert, and I guess technically Ken Mattingly... They weren't supposed to be on Apollo 13. They were supposed to have been on Apollo 14 originally. But the Apollo 13 crew got sick six months out, which affected their training. So they had to get in the simulator and retrain and um, got bumped up, which was a big deal because the entire idea was, oh, we're not the first on the moon anymore, but we're going to get a chance to walk on the moon. And... Because, uh, obviously, Neil Armstrong and Buzz Aldrin had been the first to walk on the moon. And there was this entire competitiveness among the astronaut corps that's really portrayed of being one of these select few men who got to walk on the moon. Which is... I don't even know how many of them are alive anymore, honestly. Of people who have been on the moon. Would you like me to start Googling this, things? This is the Google. Have you met him? <laughs> So, let me do your fact-checking for you, everyone. When they were watching TV, they were watching Apollo 8, where Neil Armstrong was walking on the moon. And then he's doing the VIP tour at NASA. That's when the other disaster happened with the touch. Like, like the, when the people blew up or whatever. The oxygen thing. Apollo 8 was the moon? I thought Apollo 11 was the moon. No, Apollo 11 is the one that... I don't know. He orbited the moon on Apollo 8. Neil Armstrong. No, he walked on the moon. On Apollo 11. I have my space. I know. I know Apollo 11. I know. I did. I did a report on Neil Armstrong. In third grade. And then I dressed up as him for Halloween. Well, they just thought I was an astronaut, but I was specific. Well, how how do you dress up like an astronaut? You get a white jumpsuit. You get a white, you get a, uh, the top of a copy paper box, you put white paper on that, you tape it to your chest, and you write NASA on it, and you get tubes coming out of it. 
mom make you this helmet? We worked together on it. What did you do for a helmet? I don't know if I had a helmet. Oh, come on. You need the helmet. But I had NASA on my chest. <laughs> so you had a box, basically, that's the NASA. Yeah, I, I bet you there's pictures of this somewhere. <laughs> I need to find pictures of this. Oh. No, I really want to be an astronaut for a long time. I remember at one point I had this, when I was like seven or eight, I had this set of footy pajamas. And then I had one of those dirty clothes hampers that's kind of like a, one of those trash cans with the spinning top. And I figured out how I could put that on to make it look like a helmet. So I'd walk around with that in my footy pajamas pretending to be an astronaut. <laughs> I wanted to be an astronaut so bad when I was what a little happened? kid. What happened? I got bored of science. <laughs> or bored of math, what? specifically. Or Ooh, don't tell science that. That's so mean. Well. Science is everything. Yeah. You are science. But I love lit. I love literature and the humanities so much. So much. It's so interesting. It's so creative. I also realized that most astronauts had to go through the military. And I was like, yeah, I'll go through the military. And then as I got older and older, I realized I had more and more authority problems. And I was like... I'm not going to do that. Well, no, you have to like get, you have to be a pilot. First yeah. of all, you have to be a pilot. You have to go. Well, you see, you have good eyesight. You would have been like great at being a pilot. didn't have great eyesight back then. What? How did you fix your eyesight? You know, I listen, all I know is that one year I had to wear contacts and then the next year they were like, you've got close to 2020. You're fine. See, I feel like you had a bad doctor the year before that. I had the I same doctor you. for, like, all of my life. Oh, my God. Is that an old person? No. No? It was, like, a middle-aged person. Mm. You gotta get the young ones. <laughs> they know the good science. <laughs> <laughs> but, um, no, I I just realized, I was like, being an astronaut seems like a lot of work. And so I, you're just lazy. You know, I'm It's not, okay. There's no one going to the moon anyway, so it's not like it's cool anymore. Yeah. This is the saddest part about this movie, is realizing all the NASA missions that used to be, like, televised, and everyone was excited about it. People got bored of them. And that's the that's a lot of the thread of the film, is that um, it's just, what like, happened? going to the moon Going to the moon is routine is now. Like, how do you get bored of that? I don't understand. Like, see, that's still so cool to like, me. They, like, they filmed this broadcast segment where they're broadcasting from the capsule, and... None of the news seg- none of the news channels run it. Mm-hmm. They're like, oh, the moon is routine now. And the ast- uh, Jim Lovell's wife, the astronaut uh, wives, are like, how is this routine? Why are people not watching it? And there's this really sad scene of Jim Lovell's mom in the nursing home trying to f- asking to them to put it on. It's like, my son's supposed to be on TV right now. It's like, but we've been through all the channels, Mrs. Lovell. There's nothing in here. <laughs> Ugh. She's actually very good in this movie, too. Like, her line, like, when they find out that it's going to be difficult, it's like, listen, if they can make a washing machine fly, my gym could land it. Oh, my God, this is so sad because I feel like NASA really tried to make it work again in, what, 1996? They were like, yeah, we're going to make this movie, and everyone's going to love space again. Ugh. And, but, you know, me, adult me loved space, but younger me didn't love space, so I kind of get it. Really? Yeah, so um, I was, you know, obviously very smart when I was little. And um, was in the gifted program for, you know, super gifted youngsters. And they actually had a, one of the units was space. 
So, and I was like, well, this is stupid. Really? Yeah. And they, like, there was even an opportunity to go to space camp. I'll never forget myself. I didn't go. You? I didn't go. I didn't go. You had the opportunity to go to space. It was like a space space thing. I don't know if it was space camp, but it was like a space center. And literally everyone went but me. I was like, space is stupid. And now I want to go to space camp, like, hardcore as, like, an adult. So, this little, is, this little is, me, you're dumb. You, you want to know something? You know, you want to know what my favorite Wishbone book was? Did you go to space? They went to space camp. Oh. Wishbone was at space camp. I didn't know there were Wishbone books, but I guess that's not the show. Yeah, the show is based on the Love books. The Love the show. Love the show. Okay. Love the show. Wishbone was the reason I got Jack Russell Terriers. I've told you this before. <laughs> but anyway, we're going on Wishbone tangent. But my favorite Wishbone is the, the spider one made on feeling. Oh, yeah, that's what I remember the most. I really liked Ivanhoe a lot. Okay, well, anyway, back to space. <laughs> <laughs> um, so I was, I mean, in case this wasn't clear, I was a space. I had glow in the dark stars that we were trying to arrange in the shape I of constellations. Yeah, but did you arrange yours in the shape of constellations? No, because they didn't look like real stars. They were like the star shape. They weren't like little dots. You arrange those star shapes in constellations. I got like one of those little klutz books oh, that it was like I how to set up books. how to set up your stars in the shape of constellations. We're gonna do a podcast now. It's called "Remember Your Childhood." <laughs> <laughs> but okay, we've talked a lot about like the nostalgic associations with this movie, and we've talked a lot. Cool, but one more life connection to this. So talking about space disasters, and I'm sure that's why everyone was super unenthusiastic about. Apollo 13, they're like, well, people will get killed trying to go to space. When we were younger, there was the 2003, I believe, the, the Columbia. Columbia. The and Col- I remember walking into a store and seeing, like, all the TVs had a on-fire spaceship on them. Yeah, I rem- I think I was at the podiatrist at the time, and that was what everyone was watching. It was, like, on the TV in the waiting room, and people were freaking out about mm-hmm. it. Which, I mean... I mean, we've, there have been... Several space disasters. I mean, first of all, you've got Apollo 1, you've got the fire. Before that, uh, I think it was in the uh, either the Mercury program or the Gemini program, um, there was a very close call where the astronauts almost drowned when they landed back on Earth um, because they uh, the door opened incorrectly and it, was, it wasn't at level and water flooded the capsule during splashdown. Um, there was Challenger, obviously, where the... Uh, where the yeah, the entire crew... Uh, explode! Uh, the shuttle exploded on the pad, and the entire crew died, including like a school teacher who had been selected for the mission. And then there's Columbia, and I think those are all the major space disasters. It's just crazy that people let that get them down when like so such mundane things happen every day where people die. Or like put it this way though, those are the space disasters that we know about. Oh. Well, no, I feel like the you. I mean, those are the U.S. ones. I feel like the USSR probably That's had some. That's true. Every country probably has, like, the, main, the bigger countries with the space programs probably have plenty of yeah. space disasters. Um, and I feel like space disaster itself is a very specific genre of, like, movie and book. Like, oh, yeah. We have two other space disaster movies in we our do. library. We have Gravity and we have The Martian. Um, and there's something about that. Gravity in particular is a very isolating one, and so is The Martian. But those like, have so those are so different than this movie because of their camera techniques and their, and because they're fictional, fictional and different time period of like creating. Like this is this is basically like an like almost an educational movie. 
Oh, absolutely it, it is. It completely follows the timeline. Like, there's one point where they're trying to power on the um, space. The they're they're trying they're trying to figure out how they can conserve their power because they've lost like some of the batteries in the explosion, and figure out how much power they have to work with to reorient them and get them set for reentry, and get the guidance computer going. They're like, we need twelve. We need to do this with twelve amps. And they're like, you couldn't run a vacuum cleaner with twelve amps. Our vacuum literally says twelve amps on it. <laughs> Like, the idea that you could run those kind of calculations at that time. Well, no, that's what, oh my god, that movie made me so nervous, because they're, they're up in space, and they're like, okay, everyone, we need to calculate exactly how much they need to get back to Earth, and everyone's on pencil and paper. I'm like, how are they doing this on paper? There's a line that Jim Lovell <laughs> says when he's like, we have computers that are only, that can, are so small that they fit in only one room, and it just, <laughs> And then it kind of brings me back to, like, hidden figures when they're all in there cleaning the... They're, like, pretending to clean the room, I guess, to try to get into the room to learn how the computer works. And it's, yeah. like, the like this huge room mm-hmm. for one computer. Well, it's just kind of astonishing that... And this is going to sound like Golden Age thinking. It's like that It's like that speech at the beginning of the newsroom where, where, like, Jeff Daniels is like, we went to the moon, now we don't. But... I would assume. Well, he but, says something like that. Um, he's like, we're, America isn't great anymore. I, I'm of the opinion that America was never great. But, um, <laughs> anyway. <laughs> well, he read Rhapsody in theater soon. <laughs> it's not yet. Um, but it's kind of astonishing what we could be doing now. With the amount of computing power that we have, and the... Well, the thing is, everyone wants to be private now so they can make the big bucks, so no one shares anything anymore. What if Grimes is just dating Elon Musk because <gasps> to she get wants... get to the moon! She wants to do a concert on the moon like Xenon! I think we're just pulling out every space movie we know right now. <laughs> Sorry. It's because we want to avoid... Uh... What are we avoiding? We're avoiding yeah, actually we... talking about this movie. Oh, yeah, this... Because, okay, let me be honest with you. This movie has a lot of strong aspects. The performances are very strong. But I think I've seen... I think I've seen it, like, two or three times before this. And I don't think this movie has all that much rewatch value, unless it's been, like, years. I got this movie... This is one of the uh, big batch of Blu-rays that I bought before my surgery that year. Oh, my God. You remember that, right? Yeah. You're like, why are you leaving Target with four Blu-rays? You didn't watch like, any of them. Oh! This is why we have this podcast! Wait, we have another... I, I forgot a third space disaster... Another space oh, disaster no, no, no. movie. We have Interstellar! You said Interstellar earlier. We'll about Gravity, didn't you? No, 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 no. no. no I Martian. said The Martian. I get Interstellar and Gravity confused because they're kind of... No, they're, they're really entirely different. But they've got the same, like, ethereal space feel. Okay, but one has Sandy Bullock and one has Matthew McConaughey. Are they <laughs> one has George Clooney. Nothing. <laughs> <laughs> George Clooney in face <laughs> Listen, if listen, if Fredo can play Hank Williams in space, then George Clooney can play Hank Williams in space, okay? Which is funny, because I'm just realizing that was probably a direct reference to Apollo 13. Um, 
Listen, we're at 24 minutes. I don't think we're going to talk much more about the movie. It's well, let's, 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 First Boss is not a great movie. It's a good movie. And, and I and think you it was. Watch it if you haven't seen it. I think it was great in terms of it established Ron. It it was a important film for Ron Howard. I don't know where it was in his career, but it showed like, oh yeah, he can direct a popcorn movie that also like has like strong performances and things like that. Which that makes me excited because we're seeing Solo two days after this podcast is released, or a day after this podcast is released. It's also highly accurate. If you want to know exactly what happened, like it's, it's nothing is like really fabricated. Everything's very close. Like even the things that feel like they're fabricated, like her losing her wedding ring in the hotel mm-hmm. room. Oh, the, but you didn't you didn't mention um the that uh, who makes a cameo. At the end. Oh, Jim Lovell. Yeah, he actually shows up in his in the movie. Yeah, he shows up on the uh, the USS Iwo Jima. His wife is also supposed to be in here somewhere. I okay. Where? But what I was going to say is that there are scenes in there that seem like they would have been faked, like to uh, emphasize the bad luck of the mission. Um, Mrs. Lovell loses her wedding ring in the hotel drain, and she does actually do that, but. The diff- one difference is that they were able to recover it in the um, in real life. Um, let me tell you what didn't work for me. What didn't work for The dream sequences. Yeah. Um, and, like, according to Jim Lovell, he did... His wife did actually have that nightmare about them, like, getting lost in space. But... It's just... I... I feel like dream sequences are a good device if if you're introducing an element of magic into the movie. This is not a magical movie, though. This is entirely realism. And, like, attempting to well, like be as real as possible. Well, I think dreams are like a red herring or like something or something like when people, like, dream and then it really does happen or something similar to it happens. And, like so, and so I guess that that's why the first dream was a little bit effective, but I... Just didn't like the feel of it. Dream sequences like that always feel kind of like a bait and switch to me. And then when they're going around the moon and Jim Lovell has the, uh, there's the dream sequence of Jim Lovell actually landing on the moon and walking on the moon. It just felt. Yeah, but that was important because, like, can you imagine, like, that's your only dream. Like, pretty much your only dream. And well, then, like, felt, you don't even get to do it. It just felt like overly sentimentalist, heartwarming stuff that, like, that, well, that Tom yeah. Hanks is kind of prone to doing. Like, that's the thing. He he has that dream he sequence. Didn't write this. No, no, but I'm saying that this is something that he does a lot. He has that dream sequence, and then immediately after, he's like, gentlemen, I know we lost this, but I'd like to get home. And he says it in that, oh, you know, in that, like, Tom weird. Hanks dad way. Oh, we didn't even talk. And. Something something else, something that I did enjoy was, and that this is accurate to the movie, I thought Gary Sinise played Ken Mattingly's, like, disappointment at not being allowed to go just because he didn't have a measles immunity. I thought he played that so well. I think he should have been a little angrier. Like, I, like oh, he... no, I but, saw but it. Everyone's supposed to be very level-headed there, and, like, obviously he still, like, had to help them, which is cool. It's, like, a redeeming thing. Like, he still... He basically got them home safely. Yeah. Like he's the one who figured out mm-hmm. how to get them home. And, like, they say, like, in the movie that Ken Mattingly didn't do all that himself. He's sort of an amalgamation of a bunch of different right, engineers. Right, right. But I think it's a really, he's a really important linchpin character in the movie. But I think I think that, I think Gary Sinise, like, had this, like, quiet anger and this depression about it that where he was, like, still so excited for his friends. 
but and for his uh, colleagues, but he was like, no, I've lost this chance now. Um, I think that's what makes this movie great, how heartwarming it is. <laughs> Everyone has a little part to play. Like, the family's important, uh -huh. because their motivation, Kevin his friend's important, and they want to go to space because their other friends died, like... Everything, it's like everything we've got to honor their memory. But I mean, that's how life does work. Like, yeah, you know, it's not unreal. It's not unrealistic to have. You know, everyone has complex motivations, and it was just. I think that's what makes it good. And you're like, yeah, it's a good movie. But then we sit down to think about what makes a movie a movie. You're like, well. And I think that can be the problem a lot of times with like dramatizations of real life events. It's like this is a, and this was a very dramatic real life event, but. I mean, I feel like it's, this is the kind of thing that I kind of get, like, when I'm, like, trying to tell my dad, like, hey, you should really watch this, this, uh, TV show, it really encapsulates, like, encapsulates, like, the anxieties of the Carter era moving into the Reagan era, and, like, what was going on in America in the 70s, and he's like, I don't really feel the need to watch that because I experienced it, and, like, that's something that I feel like a lot of parents say when you're trying to convince them to watch, like, period shows or something like mm -hmm. that, um, and, like, I didn't experience Apollo 13, but I've experienced this movie a few times, you know? Uh, and Kevin Bacon. Can we talk about Earth's greatest hero? <laughs> Earth's greatest hero, Kevin Bacon, as the Bachelor astronaut Jack Swigert. <laughs> Jack Swigert. He's got that, He's got that. that Texas accent. Everybody, everybody has... Cinema moment though, when the um the Hank Williams, Hank Boyd, what's his name? Hank Williams. Oh, oh, as the tape, as the so they're in the middle of space. There's condensation everywhere. They're freezing, and the tape, the tape player, the cassette player is floating in the middle, and it's running out of batteries, and it just slowly slows down and stops, and it reflects like the mental and emotional state. Mm -hmm. I read that it wasn't quite that cold. It, it didn't. It didn't approach like freezing at all. But Jim Lovell did did hug Fred they, Hayes they, for more. Yeah, they, they brought it in. Uh, okay. What would you rate this movie? Out of what, like, how many, like, on a scale of like? Would, I mean, stars. stars. Like three, like out of five stars. I give it a I give it a solid three. Okay. Like I think the performances are what really make this movie great. The editing is also very good, um, but I think there's a little too much of what doesn't work. Sometimes some of the stuff is a little too trite and a little is, overly sentimental. This is I feel like this is kind of what happens when like people do book to move like book to t to film movies like especially when it's a nonfiction. Book. Yeah. Um and like it's a good film. It's just. It was one of my favorites for a while. I don't think it's so much one of my favorites anymore. I think that kind of brings the question, like, do you have to check all the film boxes for it to be a good film? And the answer is no. You don't have no, to use 50 devices and show how artistic you are. Sometimes the facts are enough. And, like, I think that this is, like, one of the canonical great American movies, and I agree with that. But did I enjoy it as much as I enjoyed, like, some others? No, probably not. Um... Also, we have a little bit of housekeeping to do as well. We forgot to rate American Hustle. 
You forgot to rate American Hustle at the end of the episode. So now that we're done with Apollo 13, what would you give American Hustle out of five stars? 3.5 fur coats. I give it four foam rollers. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Um, before we announce what we're going to be watching for the next episode, let's talk about what's been going on with the podcast. What's been going on with the podcast, John? Well, we have been picked up to series by the Pocket Podcast Network, which is this wonderful network. You can find them. Uh, in your pocket. Yeah, it's uh, quality content right <laughs> into your pocket. You've probably already heard the stinger at the end of our last couple of episodes. Um, there are a lot of great shows on the network, like... Oh, Or No Dice, or Time Zones Are Hard, all produced by friends or acquaintances of ours that are, you know, working really hard to get you quality content. You can find them online at pocketpodcastnetwork.com, and you can uh, check out all the show, great shows that they have there. Um, we'd like to thank, also, the Organ Machines for providing our theme music. They're great friends of ours. Um, we hang out with them a lot. They're an Atlanta band. You can see the shows that they're playing around Atlanta. There's a link to their um, Bandcamp site in our description and on the website, and it's... a uh, just really good. You should check it out. They have a lot more music than just this song. We love them. Their shows are always amazing. So check them out. Um, so now, the big moments. What are we watching for the next episode? Can you see it? Arrival. Arrival. No, another space movie? And we have a nice little I hope run. you guys like space. Well, it's barely space. It's more alien than I space. I going to be space. There. Oh, I'm sorry, you don't like space, check us out in another <laughs> <laughs> And then we'll be doing Avengers Age of Ultron. <laughs> I don't know, this, I didn't think this very good. <laughs> well, hey, after that we get to Baby Driver. Alright, this is Home Viewing. You can find us on Twitter at Home Viewing Pod. I'm John. Thanks for listening. Pocket Podcast Network. Quality programming right to your pocket.